Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 115th videocast, 105th podcast for the week ending December 30th, 2021, almost ready to turn the calendar. Uh, We've got a lot to cover. As a matter of fact, this week's article of the week uh, may be may be the most important one I've ever written. Uh, Actually, as it was coming out, I was blown away, and it emanated from a conversation I had uh, earlier this week, and I'm excited to share that with you. That's going to be toward the end. We're going to try to get through the media and through some of the key news points quickly, get focused right on that, and let you have a wonderful New Year celebration tomorrow. So uh, I'll let you get back to enjoying your, your vacation. I know a lot of you are away. Uh, and enjoying this week off. So, uh, first off, I'd like to thank Ellie Terrett, Liz Clayman, and Lauren Simonetti for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Monday of this week. And in this section, uh, we were talking about kind of the uh, Santa Claus rally. And last week, if you remember, I was on, I said, there will be no Grinch. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's, that's certainly uh, held true. And One of the things I pointed to was the National Association of Active Investment Managers. That got down to 52% uh, going into Christmas. Uh, Managers were seriously underweight. uh, And although it had climbed up to 67% this week, they're still underweight. So we'll see what that uh, print is uh, today. Uh, But uh, by and large, that's uh, lead. And that would make me think that we could grind higher for the next uh, week into the new year, maybe maybe two weeks, we'll see and get a sense of if we get a, a real aggressive acceleration, that could be a blow off like we saw in 2018. We'd start to raise cash into that uh, to put to work. Uh, or if it's just a modest grind, then we'll see and we'll just continue to buy uh, that which is on sale and uh, high quality that's on sale and, and move from there. So we'll take it as it comes. I want to see what the acceleration is like in the first week of January, how the market reacts, etc. I also pointed to retail sales were up this holiday season 8.5% relative to last year, 10.7% relative to the pre-pandemic holiday season. That's from the MasterCard data. Uh, and uh, earnings uh, still going to grow. Estimates are at 223.50 for next year. Uh, expected to grow 9%. So while you will have uh, some headwinds from the market um, starting to discount the end of taper uh, in March, and which will start the liquidity withdrawal, and that will create some bumpiness as well as speculation around when rate hikes will start. Um, uh, that's another headwind. And then finally, it's the second year of the four-year presidential cycle, which tends to be the worst. And by the way, there is on average a drawdown of 17%. I think I heard Ryan Dietrich saying on Fox today, um, during the second year of a presidential cycle. I don't know that we're going to see that next year, but I do have a high confidence level. We are going to see uh, 10% corrections. So um, the 3 to 5% low volatility uh, corrections of 2021 will become 8 to 10% uh, corrections in 2022. Uh, however, uh, in spite of that, I think we're going to finish the year up uh, high single digits, low double digits. And uh, and I uh, made a nice reference to Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, because despite the fact that rate hikes are coming, uh, the S&P gains on average 7.7% in the 12-month following the first rate hike. Um, and then finally, uh, I pointed to the trend changing from falling rate environment to a rising rate environment, which favors uh, value cyclicals, small caps, and um, and I pointed to industrials. We didn't get to cover, but uh, industrials is a focus with 36, 36% earnings growth next year relative to the S&P at 9%. Uh, pointed to Raytheon trading at 16.5 times versus 18 times historic, 2.5% dividend yield, supply chain and aerospace. Uh, will recover. GE, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Uh, In the short term, it's probably worth $130 before the breakup. As that breakup works through uh, over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, that sum of the parts could be probably worth closer to 200 over time. So we like that. Uh, Similar to Lockheed Martin, etc. So again, thanks to uh, Ellie Terrett over at Fox Business for that. Then on Tuesday, I was on 
uh, Yahoo Finance want to thank um, Taylor Clothier and Sarah Drammer over there for having me on with Adam Shapiro and Brian Chung uh, in this segment. Uh, and by the way, you can just go to hedgefundtips.com. It's always better to get it firsthand. Click here to watch it in HD on Fox Business. And for the Yahoo one, click here to watch directly on Yahoo Finance in HD as well. Um, so we pointed to some of the same things. And we also talked about um, some of the manias of 2021. The, the meme stocks, the high price to sales multiple stocks, the crypto specul speculation. And that's really just a simple function of mispriced capital. The cost to carry crazy is zero. Uh, and in the late 90s, that was the dot-com boom uh, that led to a bust. In the mid-2000s, it was housing speculation. And uh, recently, it's been uh, what I've been talking about with emphasis on the high price to sales stocks. And I also talked uh, with Brian Chung about, with the exception of the last decade, over the past 100 years, buying a basket of stocks trading at 10 times sales has inevitably led to financial disaster. This was the only decade in 100 that that worked. And the reason for that was, um, uh, you know, capital was free. And I think the key there is, and, and, and uh, Adam asked a great question. He said, well, you know, if, if capital was mispriced, whether we get one hike, two hikes, or three hikes in 2022, won't capital still be mispriced? And I said, absolutely, you hit the nail on the head, except for the fact that the trend is changing. So from a falling rate environment to, of free capital to a rising rate environment, um, uh, when capital has a price, managers will no longer take the, the promises of five years from now with these no revenue IPOs and these stocks coming out at 10 times sales and 20 times sales and 100 times sales uh, and some of these crazy SHIT coins uh, in crypto and uh, some of these meme stocks, that game doesn't happen anymore because not only uh, does the uh, net present value formula change and those uh, long-dated earnings become less valuable in the present as uh, rates rise just from the simple mathematical formula, but also... Uh, you know, things like option mania uh, die because um, if you look at the Black-Scholes formula, one of, the, one of the key inputs in pricing is interest rates. So as interest rates goes up, that option premium uh, goes up. So you want to be a seller of premium, not a buyer uh, on balance, as well as the cost of um, uh, margin goes up as well, which is going to cause everyone to take their leverage ratios down stay away from the companies that pay you nothing and promise everything and start to put money into those companies that uh, pay dividends, return capital to shareholders through buybacks uh, and have current earnings. And that favors uh, cyclicals, uh, uh, small cap value. Um, uh, and, uh, and we like in particular um, uh, industrials next year, industrials with the subsector defense, transports, et cetera. Uh, and we covered uh, some of that. So, um, what we also believe is that the uh, stocks that have driven the market this year, like FANG, NVIDIA, Tesla, um, FANG meaning the acronym Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, will um, probably start to perform more in line with the S&P, if not underperform. And uh, what has been left behind, uh, like value small cap cyclicals, will start to outperform. And... Um, and that was that. We talked a little bit about Raytheon, GE. Boeing is another industrial we love. Uh, they did not get the job done as, as management promised to be fully recertified uh, in China, but they did get the plan to be recertified. Hopefully that'll be finished in the first couple of weeks of the new year, get that recertification, and this thing can uh, start to rebound. And, um, and then we also talked about Lockheed Martin, 13 and a half times forward, 3.2% dividend yield, six, $6 billion buyback authorization, all those things that matter when start, uh, capital starts to have a price. Uh, lastly, I want to thank Medicine and Bansari uh, Kamdar for having me in their article uh, earlier this week, I think on Tuesday. And I uh, was commenting on the CDC lowering the quarantine from 10 days to 5 days when you get Omicron. 
And my quote was, this policy change is sending the message that this is becoming more like the flu and less like the variants we saw early on when we had no treatments, no vaccines, and it was much more deadly. And uh, the market certainly likes that. Moving right along, I caught, uh, uh, my eye caught this article on Tom Lee, Fundstrat's Tom Lee, uh, talking about the S&P 500 soaring 313% by 2029 which is a compound annual growth rate of about 20%. Uh, and, uh, and it's predicated on uh, the biggest reason to stay bullish is because of the millennials. Um, and um, so he says the S&P could hit 19,349 by 2029, um, which would be well above the stock market's historic average between 7 to 10%. I think that's interesting. Uh, also, if you look, you know, the market basically was well below trend from 2000 to 2013. It took to, to make new highs. Uh, so there is some catch up. But I think more than that is uh, the story that we've been talking about for the last year, which uh, Tom Lee emphasizes in this note, which is that, you know, you've got the biggest slug of the population now at 31 years old, uh, starting housing formation, family formation, that drives the bust. The last time we had that demographic, you know, kind of pig in a python uh, where the um, age concentration was around 30 for the largest part of the population was 1982. We know what happened from 82 to 2000 was one of the biggest bull markets ever. And then prior to that was uh, 1948 to 1966. And that was also a monster a bull market period. So, uh, so that's good news. That doesn't preclude us from having a bumpy 2022, uh, but we should finish high single digits, uh, low double digits in spite of, uh, of the uh, bumpy path, uh, flight path. Um, moving right along, Cigna uh, reaffirmed their EPS guidance uh, and the stock is up from 190 to 230, so 40 points, a little over 20% in the last four weeks. We think this is going to continue to push higher to new highs, hopefully in the first quarter of this year. So that's been working out well. Boeing did have some positive news this week. The 737 MAX is now allowed to fly in Indonesia two years after the big crash. So that's, you know, it's kind of putting China in a box that it's, uh, which they've already taken action on. They gave uh, Boeing the plan. Boeing's got to fulfill the plan. And uh, hopefully they'll get the recertification uh, early January and we'll be off to the races on that name. Uh, dollar's best days look numbered amid rush to front run the Fed. Greenback gains set to slow in 2022 with rate hikes priced in. Um, so uh, this is something we've been talking about for the last few weeks that we thought that uh, if we had to look out six, six months out, would the dollar be higher or lower? And our view was non-consensus, which was lower. And you can see here in this chart, uh, bullish head fund bets on the greenback hit highest since June of 2019. Uh, so we know what happened there, and, uh, and uh, that was the beginning of the rollover. So uh, same thing now, hedge funds are beside themselves getting as much long exposure to the dollar after it's moved up, which leads me to believe six to nine months out, we're going to have a much weaker dollar. Uh, that'll be a tailwind for multinationals, by the way. This is an article from Philip Van Dorn over at MarketWatch. These stocks are down at least 20% from 2021 highs, but Wall Street sees them gaining as much as 87% in 2022. So this is the uh, uh, leaders. Laggards will become leaders. The last shall be first. This is something that I've talked about repeatedly uh, for those of you who've been with me for a couple of years. But you'll see here that uh, when they take the, the drawdown from the 2021 high, uh, the, the ones with the biggest upside uh, are the Chinese stocks. And that's where, where we've been focused, particularly on Alibaba. So they've got Pinduoduo, they've got Bi, you know, expected implied 12-month uh, upside 87%, Baidu implied 12-month upside 65%, JD 61%, uh, Mercado Libre. Uh, and then they go into Caesars Entertainment, uh, PayPal. We like all of these, Alaska Air. Uh, Generac, I, I don't know that one very well. That's the generator company. I think that's already had a run, so I'd probably be inclined to pass. Uh, Trip.com, that's a Chinese like booking or Expedia. Um, Global Payments, I mean, all these we like. Activision Blizzard, Southwest Airlines, uh, Medtronic, um, Zimmer Biotech, I just started looking at, so I'm, I'm not going to uh, be decisive on that one yet. Uh, Philip 66, Boeing, Disney, 
don't know Lamb Weston very well uh, and Corning, so and they have much less implied upside. But the number one one that they're missing that they didn't list here, Philip, uh, probably an oversight is. Uh, Boeing, uh, even with all the pessimism, the consensus price target 12 months out is 109, which gives it a higher implied upside than even Pin Duo Duo. And you saw today that um, that this uh, that Boeing that uh, Alibaba was, finally had a 10% day, up 11 points on. Um, on almost double average volume. So the average volume is 22 million. It's got 40 million shares. It's up 10 or 11 points, 10% on the day. Uh, that's very, very positive. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Couple quotes of the day to get us started. First with Warren Buffett, great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised. This is Baba to a T. Uh, we're going to go into why in more granular uh, financial statistics today like we've not done before on this podcast. I think it's going to blow your mind. Uh, quote of the day, individuals cannot, who cannot master their emotions are ill-suited to profit from the investment process. Benjamin Graham, if you've done the work and you know what you own, and today we're going to drill down to what does it mean to know what you own, uh, and you get shaken out by the short-term noise, then shame on you. Then you'll just never participate in massive upside in, in anything meaningful. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing everything that's already up and then uh, uh, you know, getting your head handed to you because you don't know what you own. People who know the price of everything and the value of nothing. So we want to help avoid that, help teach you some of the things that have helped us through the years. And, uh, and I think you're going to find today really exciting. Uh, quote of the, last quote of the day, the intelligent investor is a realist who sells to the optimists and buys from the pessimists. If we've ever been buying from the pessimists uh, the last few weeks for sure. Now, one of the catalysts for uh, Baba being up 10% plus today, the Chinese government came out and pledged to focus on a consumption-driven recovery and reduce certain income tax rates. So these are all the things, all of the pieces of our thesis that we've been laying out in recent weeks are coming to bear. We said that China tightened too early over, uh, over the summer. We said, we actually said that at the beginning of the year, China tightened too early. They started tightening in January when everyone was loosening. By the summer, we said they're gonna have to turn this around. They started cutting the reserve requirement ratio. Now they're just panicking, doing everything. And this is gonna set things up great for the next 12 months going into the China National Congress, which we've talked about on average. Uh, that happens every five years. The China MSCI index is up 31% in the 12 months going into the China National Congress meeting, which is a governmental transmission meeting where they want to show how great the government's been, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they always juice the market before then, and they're starting that cutting taxes and focusing on consumption-driven re recovery, which by the way, their recovery, if you remember, the developed world gave money in people's pockets and that went to consumption. China did not. They, they invested in infrastructure, charging stations, uh, all kinds of things that would have a long-term return on investment, but nothing on the consumer. And now they're shifting gears and that's gonna directly benefit who? That's gonna directly benefit Alibaba, which is the consumption engine in China. Um, now, China proposes tighter rules, uh, but no ban for offshore listings that came out this week. That's a positive development. Uh, we've covered a lot about that in recent weeks. Uh, you know, we opted to, we own our derivatives on the US uh, ADR, our, our, our long dated options, and we own the stock in Hong Kong. It doesn't matter, it's fungible, we can transfer it back and forth. There's no arbitrage, and if there is, we just switch to the other one. Not a big deal, very low friction. Uh, inv investors likely to cheer clarity on VIE companies as China unveils requirements on offshore IPOs. So this is, um, this is your typical situation where uh, stocks do not rally uh, and recover on good news. They recover on less bad news. So first you get all these uh, nebulous crackdown headlines with no teeth or direction. And now that we're getting direction like we got with the GDPR uh, data rule uh, on, uh, in recent months and like we're getting now with the VIE structure uh, rules and uh, some of the tech rules, the fines are in the rear view mirror. Now these things um, can start to rally, although it looks like, oh, here are the regulations. They, they, 
the bad news is priced in because they announce nebulous things as they actually unveil what they are and people know the rules of the game, the stocks can start to recover. And I think we're seeing that uh, begin today uh, with, with, with the whole basket. Now, China's central bank vows greater support in the real economy. PO, PBOC said they'll be more proactive in the use of policy tools. I mean, I couldn't have written the script better. Uh, what I've been telling, uh, talking about in this podcast the last handful of weeks would be coming is coming in spades. And it started with the 50 bips drop of the reserve requirement ratio, which uh, no one was calling for before year end. We said it would happen. Now it's looking like it's going to be another 100 bips on top of it, and they're going to be off to the races. What's exciting about that is they'll be the only country in the world easing in 2022, while the rest of the developed world uh, is more on a tightening path. And I think that's going to create an enormous opportunity and an enormous arbitrage and, uh, and benefit to be exposed and to get in at cheap prices. We've covered different uh, variations of this chart, emerging markets. We covered emerging markets to the world last week. This is emerging markets to the U.S. are the cheapest in 15 years. The last time they were this cheap was 2006. If you remember, 2006 to 2008 was probably the biggest run in emerging markets and China uh, in terms of percentage gain in history. So we're back at those levels. We like how that uh, doesn't necessarily repeat, but it's going to rhyme, and I think it's going to rhyme in a very harmonious way. Um, China pursues self-reliance in making chips, fueling global unease. If you recall, I was talking about what a big deal it was that Alibaba was making their own chips for their cloud AWS uh, equivalent, uh, cloud service, which is where all the future growth and margin is going to be. Uh, well, one of the key initiatives is the Chinese government wants to be self-dependent on uh, chip manufacturing. Whether they'll get there or not, uh, we don't know. But the three big players that are going to get them there that they need, that they want to be partners with, not adversaries with, are Alibaba, Tencent, and Xiaomi. Uh, so this is a very positive development. And uh, this is a cutting-edge area that's not even priced into the growth profile of Alibaba that I think could be a huge winner for the company moving forward. Uh, the China Evergrande says construction has resumed at the vast majority of its projects. It's in line with what we said when this was breaking down um, a month ago when we said that the Chinese government was going to ring fence this. So far they have. That's very uh, constructive. Next article, China vows proactive moves to stabilize the economy in 2022. So we've gone through that. China 10-year yield falls to its lowest in 18 months on easing bets. So the market is now betting that more and more um, uh, stimulus and um, uh, monetary easing is going to come to bear. And that's reflected in their uh, bond, uh, their 10-year yield, uh, in their bond prices. And um, the PBOC injected the most short-term cash liquidity into the system in two months on Tuesday. That's going to continue. They're going to continue to juice it for the next 12 months. Interbank interest rate drops after jumping the most in a year after they did that liquidity injection. That is going to continue, uh, and that's a very constructive thing. Uh, moving right along, we, we covered that. China injects the most cash in two months. Okay. Uh, now, I love this headline. This is beautiful because this is usually the uh, nadir where uh, it says, Hong Kong stocks on track for the worst year in a decade. I mean, most people see this and say, oh, stay away. I see this and I say opportunity of a decade. I mean, this is the best opportunity of the last decade. They're, they're, they're just coming off their worst year. Uh, and this, what, what, what really I loved about this, on the same exact day, here was the next headline in the Wall Street Journal, S&P 500's energy sector on pace to hit record annual gain. Now, for those of you who have been with me for the last year plus, two plus on this podcast, Last year, what were we pounding the table on day and night uh, in the summer and the fall was banks and energy, banks and energy. And we kept hammering on Wells Fargo and, um, and ExxonMobil, okay? ExxonMobil in the 30s, uh, Wells Fargo was one of our biggest positions in history at $25. Um, and, um, and, and now Bob is a little bit bigger than that, and we brought our basis down considerably in the last couple of weeks, so we're super excited going to 2022. But I just think this is so perfect, because last year, the headlines were probably 
oil stocks on track for the worst year in a decade, uh, and now they're the best year in a decade, uh, record annual gain, and Hong Kong, I think next year at the end of the year, you're going to see Chinese stocks on track for the best year in a decade. I think we're going to see that headline, and we'll come back to this episode 115 and see if we were correct. But uh, that's how we're positioning. Now, the article of the week, paying the bank stock market and sentiment results. Uh, that's, a, that's a picture of me with Bobby Fink in Tampa. Uh, got uh, a, a, just an amazing story. You, most of you know. If not, you can go ahead and Google and see what he did over the summer. Uh, just amazing. But uh, in addition to that, this summer, my wife Caitlin and I took our girls out to Omaha to Nebraska to see the Olympic trials for swimming. As a regular attendee at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting for many years, I finally got to show them Warren Buffett's favorite steakhouse, Gorat's. Uh, Yes, that is a cutout of Warren Buffett right in the lobby of the restaurant. Uh, Those are my girls getting their picture with Warren or cardboard Warren. Uh, And they got to swim in the Olympic pool, meet and see uh, many of the uh, current and past Olympians, as well as all the top brass at USA Swimming. Now, on the final evening, there was an elegant dinner uh, organized with a couple dozen guests surrounded by all of the former uh, medalists. And one of the gold medalists relayed a story of how during his swimming career ascent, uh, he went through a period of two years where his times did not improve. Two full years. He was swimming every day, probably twice a day, and his times just weren't getting any better. He was hitting the wall in frustration until one of the Olympians before him, uh, another medalist, encouraged him to keep going. And as he phrased it, uh, this Olympian said, look, sometimes you got to pay the bank for a while before you see the returns. And sure enough, the following two years led to his Olympic run and enough medals to signify this extreme level of accomplishment to last a lifetime. No one could ever take that accomplishment away from him. So he just pushed through and he paid the bank with no returns for a while, uh, day and night, day in and day out, making all those sacrifices and then boom, all of a sudden a big breakthrough. And um, on Tuesday, I was talking to a friend who's also a very large client about Alibaba And we were discussing the best way to get a bit more exposure to the name before the calendar turns. And as we were talking, it came to me and I said, you know, I've never seen a situation where price was so disconnected from fundamentals for such a high quality business that had a meaningful moat. Uh, This reminds me of Microsoft in 2013 before it took off on an historic run. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I got um, someone contacted me on LinkedIn. Oh, I loved your article today. You know, what do you think of um, XYZ company? It was one of these companies that IPO'd a year ago at like $40 and now it was trading at $5. And he's like, wow, you know, this is set down 70%. Is this a good stock? And I said, look, I, you know, I don't really have a view either way. I, I tend, I focus on those companies that are established and have a long series of data that I can analyze and see how they perform through different cycles. I don't want to make bets on what I, pretend I think I know about what's next. You know, some uh, um, prediction about which technology is going to, you know, who's going to have the best charging station and who's going to have, you know, the miracle drug five years from now and and which block of uh, NFT or digital land is going to be the most valuable. That's that's just gambling and guessing in my view. Some people can do it. Some people more, the ones, you know, they only write books about the people who, who get it right. Uh, they don't write books about the, the millions of people who get it wrong. And when you're guessing on the future like that, uh, I just feel that there's no edge. So I want to deal with established companies with a long track record of success that have an established moat. So I'm not just looking for any stock that's down 50% or 70%. I'm looking for unbelievably high quality franchises with a moat that, um, like Buffett said, um, a new, you know, great investment opportunities come around when excellent, excellent companies, that's the key, not any company that's down 50% or 75%, and excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised, uh, and that certainly applies in the case of, of uh, Alibaba and in the case of Microsoft from 2006 to 2013. So, After hanging up the phone, after I said to him, this reminds me of Microsoft in 2013 before taking off on an historic run, 
I went back and I looked up the data and here are the details. Uh, so you can see here, I just clipped the value line so I could get the uh, annual data per share, which is a great format that I like to use. And you can see here from 2006, this first little circle here, when the stock's just over $20, to 2013 at this little circle here when the stock's just over $20, uh, the same exact price for seven years, obviously dipped even lower during the great financial crisis, but it was just sitting here from 2006 to 2013. And you would think, gosh, didn't they sell more uh, Microsoft Windows? What was going on during that seven year period that the stock did nothing? Well, while the stock was doing nothing from 2006 to 2013, seven years, Microsoft grew revenues per share by 112%, cash flow per share by 193%, and earnings per share by 120%. You can see all the data right here and do the calculations for yourself. So over the same seven years, while they did all this growth, 112, 193, and 120%, 20%, um, while the business more than doubled, the stock price gained 0%. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Bupkis. Zero. Goose egg. Okay. But if you knew what you owned, you were buying more on dips, knowing that you owned one of the highest quality business in the world with a defensible moat. Not just any stock that was down a high quality business that was down with a defensible moat. Over the next seven years, you were up 750%. That paid you back for waiting for six years. If you waited another two years, you were up 1500%, a 15 bagger. That is a 20% Kager compound annual growth rate if you bought here in 2006 and waited through all this hell, or, if you were smart enough to buy a company that had doubled its intrinsic value from 2006 to 2013, but you could still buy it for 2006 prices in 2013, so you bought here uh, after someone went through this hell because you found a business that had doubled its intrinsic value uh, over six years, but the price hadn't moved, which is the kind of things that we look for. Um, your Kager was 36% on this move, 36% per, per year compound annual growth rate. What is even more interesting is that over the next seven years, from 2014 to 2021, Microsoft grew revenues by 112%, cash flow by 135%, and earnings by 206%. Now, so in the first seven years, Microsoft grew revenue by 112% and the stock rose 0%, okay? Revenues grew from this period to this period, 112% stock does zero. From this period to this period, revenues grow the same amount, another 112%, yet the stock is up 1,500%, a 15 bagger with the same growth. Cash flow, listen to this. <coughs> Over this period, 2006 to 2013, cash flow grew uh, 193%. However, from this period in 2013 to 2021, Cash flow grew only at 135%. So here, 195%, 193%. From here to here, only 135%. Yet, the stock was up 1,500%. And finally, earnings per share grew by 200% over this period versus 120%. So earnings grew a little bit more, but nowhere on a relative basis. So what changed? This is the most important question. The only thing that changed between here and here and here and here was sentiment. Yes, Satya Nadella came in and made it a digital business, etc. But look, when you have a business that doubles and the stock price doesn't go up, guess what the board of directors does? It replaces management to get someone in there to take a great company and make it superlative and get the stock price to reflect that. So it's like human survival. If you're pushed underwater, eventually you're going to find a way to the surface to get air. It's the same thing with the stock 
that is growing, but the stock is not reflecting it. Either that CEO is going to come up with something new to get this thing to move, or the board is going to replace him or her to get a new woman there to change the whole thing, or in the case of Satya Nadella, to change the story and, and get this moving. But it's interesting. As much credit as Satya Nadella has, has been given, Satya did worse than uh, Steve Ballmer in cash flow generation. Steve Ballmer over this period grew cash flow by 193%. Stock went nowhere. Satya Nadella only grew cash flow by 135% over the second seven-year period, and uh, he walks on water. And everyone wants the stock up 1,500%. No one wanted the stock uh, when it was uh, down here trading at 6.9 times earnings. Now, so what changed was sentiment more than anything else because cash flow growth slowed despite all the digital transformation and all the buzzwords they used to justify 38 times forward uh, after the stock's up 1,500%. Now, um, so sentiment change. In 2013, Microsoft traded as low as 6.9 times earnings and you couldn't give it away. This year it traded as high as 37.8 times earnings and everyone wants it. The average PE multiple for Microsoft in the last 16 years was 25 times. You can see that here. That's the average since 2005 was 25 times earnings. So the multiple is now 51% above the mean multiple and people can't get enough of the stock. Look how this compares to Alibaba. Okay, so here's Alibaba today that when I wrote this article, um, Last night, I think it closed at $114. So from 2014 to 2021, since it's been public, seven years, it's, it's trading at the exact same price it was in 2014 at the peak to, to uh, yesterday when I wrote the article. Revenues per share have grown 894%. Cash flow per share has grown 559%. And earnings per share has grown 601%. Over the same seven years, while the business has grown, while the business grew many multiples, 550 to 900%, depending which metric you emphasize, revenues, cash flow, or earnings, the stock price gained 0%. Zero, zilch, nada, bupkis, sounds familiar. Similar to the seven-year period for Microsoft, where they grew 100% and the stock did nothing. And then the next seven years, it was up 1,500%. Uh, this is pent up val intrinsic value that's not being recognized in the stock price presently. And, in the sh and you're gonna find um, that this is gonna change. And let me explain why. So first off, uh, this, this is a perfect example of what Ben Graham means when he says, in the short run, the market is a voting machine but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. So right now, sentiment could not be more pessimistic on China stocks, uh, uh, Alibaba, China growth, China government, China anything. The sentiment couldn't be worse. Uh, same as Microsoft in 2013 right here. You've gone through all this hell and no one's paying attention to how fast the business has grown and what's gonna be the growth that's gonna continue to come and what we're gonna see. So because we know what we own, we added more this week, knowing we own one of the highest quality businesses in the world with a defensible moat. We are buying a business that has grown five to nine times, depending on the metric, for the 2000, but we're getting it over the last seven years, but we're getting it for the 2014 price it traded at before the growth. So we're getting, 894% growth on revenues, 559% growth on cash flow, 601% growth on earnings, but we're getting it at the 2014 price before any of this happened. So we did this while not exceeding a percentage of the portfolio that would be imprudent from a risk management standpoint. There's always a possibility of factors that you quote, don't know what you don't know, and we manage that risk by sizing it appropriately. Uh, but I will say we're bigger, uh, well bigger than we were in Wells Fargo, and that was our highest position, uh, conviction uh, position of our career, uh, and that's been a home run. So last, that was last year. Last year, in spite of all the regulatory crackdown and noise, Baba still grew their top line 
29%, and laid out plans to grow to $2 billion, $2 billion users in future years. Keep in mind, this was a $1 trillion company less than a year ago that is now trading at $300 billion market cap. It is not inconceivable that Alibaba could one day be a $1.5 trillion company. Amazon is currently a $1.7 trillion company. And this, this will be driven by Alibaba's cloud growth, which is growing faster than Amazon Web Services, by the way. It's user growth and it's strong international expansion, which they talked about in the Investor Day we touched on last week. Alibaba started five years after Amazon in 1999 versus 1994 and is concentrated on expanding in parts of the world that still have meaningful population growth and limited Amazon penetration. Uh, so Alibaba spent, the Alibaba spent the last seven years, quote, paying the bank. This is what we talked about with the swimmer who was swimming day and night for two years and his times weren't dropping. And the guy who came before him said, keep going. And all of a sudden, all the medals came all at once. And I think that's what we're going to see here in 2022 with Alibaba. So, um, so Alibaba spent seven years paying the bank, no progress on price, while the fundamentals have dramatically improved. We are lucky to be stepping in methodically and aggressively at this stage. Someone else already suffered the seven years of massive business growth with no price appreciation. We will reap the benefits of buying after the intrinsic value has multiplied, but before it is realized in the stock price. This is the same story as Microsoft, okay, buying after the business had doubled, but before the stock market recognized it and it went up 1,500%. Now, I'm not saying Baba went up 1,500%, but, uh, you know, at 300 billion right now, uh, I think this could be a $1.5 billion company in a reasonable amount of time, handful of years, but, uh, I think as you factor inflation in, et cetera, you know, you've got Microsoft at three trillion. You've got, uh, you know, near three trillion. You got um, uh, Apple near three trillion. There's no reason Alibaba won't become a three trillion dollar company. That's 10x. Now that's probably a 10 year time horizon, but um, you know, it's it's still valuable. But more realistically, 5x would be a 500 dollar stock on the US ADS, um, and um, um, and that's that. So. Um, okay, moving right along. Remember the Microsoft example above when it was trading at 6.9 times earnings in 2013 after doubling the business the previous seven years, no one wanted it. Now that it's trading at 51% above its 16-year average PE multiple at 37.8 times, people can't get enough. Alibaba's, av okay, Alibaba's average PE multiple is 28 times. You can see that here. That's since it went public in 2020, 2014. Um, it is currently trading at 11.6 times next year's earnings. Maybe a little higher now because it's up 10% today, but um, when we wrote this last night, it was 11.6 times. Leaving aside growth estimates as sentiment changes over time, if it traded back to its average multiple, you would be looking at a $270 stock. If it traded... 51% above its average multiple, as Microsoft is now, you would have a $408 stock. And this is using 2022 EPS, which has come down. What happens when the regulatory headwinds subside and they turn the earnings spigots uh, back on when you have rising EPS with a rising multiple? Forget about you know, getting to a normal multiple on 2022 earnings. What about 2024 earnings? And, and the market starts to look forward when growth comes back. What will happen when earnings double again in the next handful of years and the multiple normalizes? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You can forget about, quote, Z's, uh, quote, common prosperity. It's going to be uncommon prosperity for those with a little foresight and fortitude to own at these levels and to make it through the short-term noise. That's my opinion. It's not advice. Uh, go ahead and click on terms at hedgefundtips.com. Uh, but, but that's, you know, look, we've been doing this for a long time. When we look at these fundamentals, you know, this, this has happened before. Uh, and uh, and, and, and we, like, we like how it's setting up here. Now, um, legendary value investor Bill Miller was out on December 17th. So last week with his latest thoughts on Alibaba, you can watch the three minute clip here. Um, 
I guess I'll play a little bit of that. Competitors and crowd them out. Alibaba, you're just speaking of a, a company that has come under uh, scrutiny uh, in its home market in China. Has been, you know, certainly the stock price has been affected uh, by that and regulation from the Chinese authorities. And yet you continue to own it in a, you know, fairly sizable position in it. Why? Yeah, we, we, we bought a, a chunk of it when, when the, all of the uh, stories broke about, about Jack Ma and he disappeared for a while. Mm -hmm. There's still stories ev every day. There's a, you know, a story today about the common prosperity that President, President Xi wants and the new regulations for things like Didi and gig workers. And all of that is real. We don't know how far that's going to go. But right now, the, the market price, in my, in my opinion, fully reflects that in Alibaba, for example. Because it trades now about 15 times uh, the next 12 months earnings and we, we think the company's going to growth is going to slow but it would be surprising to us if over the next three years they couldn't grow at least 15 percent a year generate a lot of cash still in a dominant market position how do you deal with these political uncertainties there's a couple aspects to that uh, the, the first one is we, we really try and understand based on what we know now about what the economic impact of those measures will have on these companies, how will it affect their earnings growth? I mean, Alibaba was growing 25% a year, it was 30% a year for a long time, and now it's going to be growing a lot less than that. Mm -hmm. But again, that's now reflected in the, in the price. Uh, and then the other, the other part of it, um, I might have said, or if I didn't, I should have said that since the financial crisis, people have been volatility and risk phobic. And so they, wherever they see perceived risk, uh, they flee from it because of the experience of the losses in the great financial crisis, 08 and 09. So our, our default position is that people overestimate perceived risk uh, and, uh, and the real risk is, is, tends to be much less. And especially when there's a lot of headline risk about these companies. You know, we, we had a big position in Facebook some years ago when Mark Zuckerberg was dragged before Congress and we went over to see clients over in, over in Europe and, and they asked us about it and one of the things that we said, well, what, what are your other managers doing? And he said, well, they're all getting rid of it. And, uh, and that, that turned out to be that week over there, turned out to be the bottom and, and then Facebook price. So we, you know, Al Alibaba is, uh, was 300 uh, a year ago and, uh, and now it's 120. So that, that, that come down uh, reduces a lot of risk in, in, the, in that name and, and other names in that space. I think the, the concern for us would be that something would happen that happened with the education companies where the party just, just you know, turned them into nonprofits. Shut them down. Uber. Okay, so, you know, I think the big takeaway from that interview, and it's interesting, he said that he was buying when Alibaba disappeared. So, so that was early in the year. So he has a very high basis, uh, probably in the mid-200s, and he's very excited about the stock, and he should be, because if you do the math, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in his case, he's got a l much longer road to hoe, um, you know, he'll have... On a 1.5 trillion dollar company, he'll have a 500 dollar stock, and then if you take it a little longer with the multiple expansion, with inflation, with everything else, uh, you know he'll wind up with a three, four bagger uh, over time, uh, e even from the levels that that he got involved. And my guess is he has been buying down and buying down and buying down, uh, and his basis is probably below 200, so he'll easily have. Uh, that that kind of return. So um, so so that was that. Now I mentioned in a recent in recent podcast that we post our TV spots on TikTok. And as I was scrolling through TikTok, I came across this video. And this is not a political video. It doesn't matter whether you like the speaker or dislike the speaker or something else about the speaker. Um, I like you either way. <laughs> uh, however, what he says about success in this clip is a golden piece of business advice for everyone. Uh, imagine how it applies specifically to those people who owned Microsoft from 2006 to 2013 when the business doubled and their stock price did nothing. And imagine what happened next. But listen to this. It sums it up in 20 seconds. When people ask me about success, I just started thinking about it over the last couple of years because I've seen a lot of it. You have to have an ability to handle pressure. And people that can handle pressure can be entrepreneurs, can be successful. Now, I have some friends that are really, really smart, but they can't handle pressure. 
in which case they should work for somebody, do great, and have a good life. There's nothing wrong with it. So that's really important because if you were an institutional manager and you owned Microsoft from 2006 to 2013, the business had doubled, the stock price had done nothing. Most of them gave up and threw their hands in. And most of the institutional managers are super, super smart guys and they probably dumped it at the exact wrong time. So they never got to participate in this 1500% move. And that's what the speaker's talking about here. Uh, I just thought was absolutely brilliant and it applies to whatever aspect of your life, whatever profession that you're in, I think that is really, uh, you know, tremendous advice. No pressure, no diamonds. And the second clip that came up on TikTok is from Warren Buffett. And while I would never go to this high of a weighting on any one position ever, uh, if someone forced me to pick one company that I must go to this, this high of weighting that Buffett's talking about, Alibaba would be the one at these levels. I'll play a couple minutes here of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Charlie and I have been confident enough if we were only running our own net worth, I'm certain a, a very significant number of times, if you go over 50 years, there have been a lot of times when you'd have put at least 75% of your net worth into an idea, wouldn't Dr. Charlie? Well, but 75% of your worth outside Berkshire has never been a very significant no, amount. Well, but I'm going back. Let's just assume it was. <laughs> Let's, let, let's just assume you didn't have Berkshire in the picture. There, there have been times, I mean, we've seen all kinds of ideas we would have put 75% of our net worth in. Warren, there have been times in my life when I've had more than 100% of my net worth invested in things. That's because you had a friendly banker, and I didn't. No, that. So that's, uh, that's Warren and Charlie. Um, and Charlie, by the way, has been doubling down on Baba. I think when we get his next filing, he'll probably have tripled down on it and brought his basis down from you know, the high 180s, probably down to about 150 or 160. Uh, and he'll, he'll have a home run in the next few years off of that in our view. Um, we covered the TV stuff. Now the short-term sentiment stuff. The AAII sentiment survey came in, uh, jumped to 37.7 this week from 20. 9.6. So retail optimism is coming back, but it's not at extreme levels yet. Uh, fear and greed was up to 60 uh, from 37 last week, but that's kind of a neutral read. It's getting towards a little more greedy, but it's not there yet. And then uh, National Association of Active Investment Managers. Let's see where this is at because this comes in on Thursdays, unfortunately. So we don't get the best read for the article. Uh, but my guess is they've jumped up uh, and I'm right. So they've jumped up from 67 to 85. So they are chasing as we anticipated on the TV spots last week. And uh, so they're 85. They're not extreme yet. So that's why I think we, we do have another week, week and a half, two weeks. We'll see how high it goes. Uh, and, um, you know, if we do get a blow off top, though, I, I'll, I'll be raising cash into February. Uh, if it's more modest, then I'll just be, you know, kind of shaving off what's expensive and putting it to work with what's, uh, what's cheap. So the 2022 outlook's intact. We covered that on the TV stuff. Uh, Happy New Year on that front. Some of the economic data uh, cover really quickly here. Um, the uh, uh, housing prices uh, uh, rose uh, slightly lower than expectations. So that was positive. That's, uh, that's coming off the boil just a hair. Uh, crude oil draw was 3.5 million barrels versus 3.2 estimated. So I think you had uh, WTI crude close around 75 or 76 for the week. Uh, and then the uh, continuing claims were very good this week despite Omicron. This is positive to see. Initial jobless claims were great, 198 versus 208. So that's all constructive uh, moving into 2022. So with that said, I want to thank you guys for tuning in all year in 2021. Uh, 2022 is going to be even better uh, and more exciting. So with that said, uh, tomorrow night, have, bring in the new year with style. Have a lot of fun. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one. Bye for now.